Welcome, everybody, to the Blue Report. This is the October edition, airing in November, uh, where we will run down all the specialty Blu-ray releases from the past month. It being the month of horror that we're covering them, I feel certain that we'll have some titles from that genre to spotlight. Just in time for Thanksgiving. Yes! Oh, yes. <laughs> of course, right. Wouldn't you know it? It seems like the horror titles come out uh, any given month of the year, although they really they really lay them on pop thick. Out a bunch of, yep. Yeah, they lay them on thick in October. That's a good way to put it. So, yeah. But uh, there's some other stuff that's been released that's non-horror. So, uh, you know, well, what can I say? Yeah. But, um, I did check out the Criterion channel because they had 28 horror movies from the 70s that they had in this collection. I saw that, yeah. Yeah, so I rewatched Texas Chainsaw. Okay. And it was and, a good uh, uh, good, pr- a good print uh, transfer of it that they were spotlighting. And damn it, it still works. Yeah, well, well yeah, obviously it's, it's great. Uh, what? What was your uh, opinion of the uh, 40th anniversary restoration? What was your? Uh, did you? I didn't have, see it. I, I, I didn't. Buy, I didn't buy those those Blu-rays. Um, <laughs> I don't know. It's one of those. See, but the 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 thing is actually very uh, for the budget constraints and the time constraints that they had with it. A cheapo little movie that nobody thought much of. Mm-hmm. It's really strikingly photographed. Uh, oh yeah. So it, it doesn't it doesn't necessarily feel like a one of those rush jobs because it's it's got a lot of artistic merit in it. So I don't mind the the cleaning up as much, but you know I am romantic for the first time I saw it as a youngster on a Beta Max cassette. Uh, you know I'm kind of nostalgic for that the look of that. Oh, of course. Yeah, as as I am. So yeah, I can. Uh... I can dig that. Yeah, I don't know if I want to see like a 4K of Last House on the Left. From <laughs> some movies are supposed to retain that kind of grungy quality to them. That's true. I mean, That's the movie true. itself is about degradation, so mm-hmm. so the image quality. I mean, that fits in. If you, you know, you don't have to. It doesn't have to sparkle. <laughs> yep, uh, that's true. That is true. I. Uh, uh, I noticed they're doing some of those Lucio Fulci films on 4K, so uh, those are the kind of things too. I'm thinking the same thing. I'm like, uh, yeah. do we really need? Or Maniac is another one. Sure. So, oh yeah. Oh yeah. Or when you're talking about something like a like an Argento, I mean, yeah, you you want to see that it's it's cleanly and, and with with as much vivid color reproduction as possible. That's true. So, you know, some of those, uh, I guess, uh, I guess they might work better on the format than others. But anyway, but we'll get down to it uh, we'll, we'll, with, with no more fanfare. How about a pair of, uh, from Kino, a pair of Michael J. Fox films, The Hard Way from oh. 1991 and The Secret of My Success from 1987. Oh. Uh, that's... Um, well, you know, one of our previous guests does the commentary um, on the hard way. I know he he hosts it with uh, Batum and uh, whoever else is with him. Is the screenwriter with him? Who's the other guy that's with Batum on that commentary? 
But Daniel Dan, Daniel uh, Kremer, the guy that wrote the um, Sidney J. Fury biography, he did the commentary on Hardway. I didn't get a review copy of it, so I wasn't I didn't uh, I wasn't uh, aware of who did the commentary of it, but. I knew there was a commentary, as is there's also one on the secret of my success mm-hmm. as well. So secret yeah. of my success, man, that's very eighties that movie. Oh yeah, and you watch that; it's kind of a time vault to uh, to the cheesy pop music songs that littered eighties eighties mm-hmm. movies and the music montages. You know, the I think the music montage when he first sees. Lori Petty or who 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 plays the female Helen Shaver? I believe it's Helen Shaver, yeah. yeah. Or Helen Slater, which Slater, I'm right? Those Supergirl, right? <laughs> so yeah. yeah, when he first sees her and you know, there's like Richard Richard Marks playing on the soundtrack with David Foster accompaniment, you know that kind of mm-hmm. delectable eighties stuff. Yeah, I remember seeing that in a the theater, and I, I just thought it was even as a teenager. Uh, when it came out, I, I thought it was kind of ho-hum even then, and my opinion really hasn't changed. It hasn't aged particularly well, I don't think. I mean, it's a pleasant film. Herbert Ross made it, but he's he's definitely got better things on his resume. Yeah. So, you know, it's it well... It's I mean, supposed to be like a family-friendly sex romp, in a way. I think it was, yeah. I think it was PG-13. Yeah. Uh, yeah, but it was... You know, Michael J. Fox, he never really found... Uh, those vehicles that really, by and large, I mean, there are a few exceptions, but by and large, he never found those vehicles that took him out of the realm of the Back to the Future films where he could do something outside of that universe, uh, no pun intended. Yeah, I mean, but but not for not for not trying. Yeah, he tried. He yeah. tried. He did. But it just never – nothing really – it just didn't catch fire. Those movies did, you know, mediocre business. I think at best, most of the non-Back to the Future movies, uh, they didn't, you know, they did okay, but you know, they weren't setting the world on fire. I think it's funny, uh, Paul Hirsch, who you know, obviously we've had on the show multiple times, but uh, there was an interesting story. He was the, uh, you know, he edited films for um, uh, for Herbert um, Ross. Several times, Footloose, of course, and Secret of My Success was another collaboration he had with Herbert Ross. And there's a a scene in the film, I know, where somebody gets kicked in the crotch. And it was his idea to he brought it to Herbert Ross. He said, let's let's uh, let's pitch up the soundtrack and make their voice high pitched after they get hit in the crotch. And he's like, oh, that's just such a lame joke. I, I that I don't I don't want to do that. And so he took that same idea and brought it over to uh, John Hughes when they did Planes, Trains, and Automobiles when Steve Martin gets hit in the crotch, you know. Uh-huh. And he said, uh, why don't you pitch up his voice? And so John Hughes said, sure, let's try it. And he tried it, and uh, it worked beautifully, of course, in that movie. And uh, that's that's the origin of that gag. It was a leftover suggestion he had from Secret of My Success that, that was uh, frowned upon. Wow. And then he took it over to planes, trains, and automobiles, and John Hughes was more receptive. So it's it's interesting the difference in the directors and their opinions of what's funny and what isn't. Yeah, uh, I always find that interesting. But uh, nevertheless, but anyway, those two uh, two titles are from Kino: The Hard Way and The Secret of My Success. And we have a uh, several 4K films, uh, catalog films that are being issued by. A couple of them here from Warner Brothers. uh, Well, actually, one of them, 300, 
oh. is being issued in 4K, and then Shutter Island is being issued by Paramount in 4K. So uh, you get a, getting a 4K upgrades on both of those. Man, Shutter Island's a gorgeously photographed movie. Yeah, uh, it really the is. Gothic nature of it, and the 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 when it goes back into its memory and the the colors of those scenes mm-hmm. with Michelle Williams, it's just a, yeah, it's beautifully photographed. Yeah, yeah, definitely. Um, it's just one of those films, however, that once you've seen it and you know the trick of it, it doesn't really it doesn't really hold up to repeat viewings. I don't think. Now, maybe I'm in the minority on that, but um, it's kind of a one trick pony for me. Yeah. And, uh, I thought it was fun to see Scorsese deal on that wheelhouse, though. Oh, it I mean, was. From yeah. from the very beginnings, the uh, on the ship with the with the massive blankets of fog, and it just it had that feel, and then it the the dolly tracks up to the the uh, the mental asylum gates, and the music. Duh, duh. <laughs> I mean, yeah. it's, it's kind of kind of irresistible stuff. Yep, it it really is. But uh, anyway, Paramount has gone out with this one. Uh, I think they've transferred most of the uh, extras from the previous releases and, like I said, given it the 4K upgrade. So uh, for fans of it who want to see it in ultra-high def, there you go. The 1999 film Drop Dead Gorgeous. Wow. The Denise Richards, right? Right. What an archive. pageant something. Yeah, kind of like the poor man's version of Smile. Uh, the Michael Ritchie film. Gee, I wonder if that's how they pitched it. <laughs> I never saw it. I can't say anything uh, as to whether it's any good or not. Um, I know it has its fans. So, mm. it's, uh, you know, and it has an, an interesting cast. I believe Adam West might have a part yeah, in that. Song. I think so. I think he's in Kirsten Dunst, of course, and Kirstie Alley, the late Brittany Murphy. Hmm. Uh, so yeah, it's an interesting, interesting cast. But was Denise Richards in that? Am I misremembering? I think. Let me see. Drop dead. I, I, I think you're right. I think you're okay. correct. I'm trying to get it to. I lost my connection here, but I do believe. I remember the movie. Mm-hmm. But yeah. Denise Richards. Yeah, she was in. Okay. Yep. Directed by so, Michael Patrick Jan. Have we heard from him again? <laughs> Has he done anything since then? Let me see. Michael Patrick Jan, where have you been? He's been doing a lot of episodic television. Stuff like The Good Doctor. Well, that's what a lot of these directors have transitioned into. It's good. You know, it's work. It works. That's right. So we have from Mill Creek, Battlefield Earth, a saga of the year 3000. Tell me, this is a, tell me this is a four-disc collection uh it's a multiple disc i believe and there are copious amounts of extras so i don't know if anybody's clamoring for it but for whatever it's worth mill creek has done the uh, 20th they've done the honors of the 20th anniversary edition of battlefield earth the movie runs two hours and the apology runs two and a half (laughs) yeah you may be on to something so man, did you see like, that? Did you see Battlefield Earth? I never did. It, it was. It, I remember the reviews were just so atrocious. I, I just couldn't. I couldn't make myself do it. I can't so. remember the first damn thing about it, and I, and I did watch it. Oh wow! Did you a, see it 
theater? To screen it to make sure the print was put together right. Oh, right. Yeah, that's when you were working. Yeah. Yeah. I did speak to the cinematographer of that, and he agreed to talk about it, though he mm-hmm. didn't though he didn't want to dwell on it. And a lot of my questions were about, you know, we know when, like, a star does a movie that bombs like that, or possibly a director, that the stench of it, it takes a while to get off them mm-hmm. so they could advance in their career. And I didn't know if that the same were true of something of a cinematographer. And um, I can't remember how he answered it, but he did answer it, and then we went on to the other movies he did. And then when I started promoting it, I extracted a clip from it to promote it. I extracted that Battlefield Earth clip, and his his manager wrote me and said, "How dare you? How dare you <laughs> single out that soundbite?" I was like, "Okay, I'll, I'll take it down. I'm so sorry." <laughs> oh, that's a good story. Well, we can go to uh, the Jean-Luc Godard film from 1965. Pierrot Le Fou. Uh, actually, it was released in the U.S. in 1969, but I think it was originally uh, 1966 with its French release date. But anyway, at any, any at any rate, it is being issued by the criteria as a Criterion edition, special edition with new extras, bounteous new extras, new transfers, all that stuff. Uh, but if you are a Jean-Luc Godard fan. Uh, this is one of the ones I think uh, that had a semblance of a plot before his films became kind of uh, with where the plot doesn't really concern him anymore. And I think he uh, <laughs> reached that point. Yeah, that's uh, gen- that's generous. Time. Yeah, but <laughs> yeah. But anyway, I'm, uh, I've never been a true, uh, a really tremendous fan of him. I know that might be heresy to say, but I never. I'm one of the few people, and I know I'm really going to get crap for this, but I think the uh, the remake of Breathless, the 1983 version, is better than the 1959 version. Oh, wow. The Jim McBride version. Some brave I, uh, words. I do. I know. It's terrible for me to say that, probably. But uh, i got to be honest. I, I just never – I find it boring. Mm-hmm. I just find it a little dull. And um, I don't know. It just doesn't work for me. I mean, it's it's okay. I can see why it probably – ushered in the, the French New Wave. I, I get that, but looking at it through the lens of about 60 years, it just doesn't quite hold up. I recently rewatched it, and uh, for me, it just didn't didn't make the grade. But anyway, uh, how about this? Anybody? I wonder if anybody remembers Snow White, A Tale of Terror, mm. starring Sigourney Weaver and Sam Neill. Wasn't that 19... like a Wasn't that like a Showtime movie? Yeah, made for Showtime, right? And it's uh, it's supposed to be the authentic version of the Grimm's brothers story of Snow White, of course. Mm. So uh, directed by Michael Cohn. Anyway, mm. um, yeah, and there, I remember when this aired, I did not see it. But um, I do remember when it was uh, when it was on Showtime. But anyway, Mill Creek has issued that on Blu-ray as well. Uh, and they've also issued a double feature of Big Bully with uh, Rick Moranis and Tom Arnold and Wrongfully Accused with Leslie Nielsen. Oh, so, gosh. Oh, gosh. Yeah, yeah. that's one of those. Uh, the, what do they call it? The movies like making slapsticky uh, satire movies of Leslie Nielsen's that I've forgotten completely about. <laughs> Yeah, I uh, I kind of like Wrongfully Accused though. I think it I think it has some really good jokes in it. Mm. Um, you know, it's it's a pretty good send up of the Fugitive. All although it was five years after the Fugitive, so 
I don't yeah. know how you know it, that, that the fugitive had kind of come and gone at that point, but I I remember seeing it and laughing quite a bit. Uh, and I do believe Richard Crenna takes over the Tommy Lee Jones part in that. <laughs> yeah, I think so. I believe. Yeah. Yeah. I, I, I mean, I, it's come it's come back to my mind now. I mean, I, I remember stuff like Spy Hard and all that kind of stuff that, that was Nielsen would do. Yeah, there were a lot of bad ones. There was a repossessed, and mm. uh, there was uh, oh, I can't. I know there was. I was thinking he was in Silence of the Hams, but no, that's Dom DeLuise. I'm sorry. Tell so. you though, and I've said it before on the show. Anyone that grew up with Leslie Nielsen in those movies, uh, watch Nuts. Where, oh yeah, right. Where he plays, where he plays the guy that rapes and beats Barbara Streisand. <laughs> exactly. Like, this doesn't make any sense. It'll make you feel very uncomfortable. Like you're, you'll be questioning your your understanding of the world. <laughs> and you're, uh, and, and it's you're you're actually waiting for him to start spouting some one-liners like he does in the airplane yeah. and he can <laughs> films, but yeah. they don't come. You're expecting that rape scene to be followed by. I'm Lieutenant Frank Drebin. He's. Well, anyway, uh, if you have a fondness and a nostalgia for the 90s, uh, Mill Creek is putting uh, putting both of those out for the price of one. So there you go. And I think it can be had for less than $10, like $8.99 or something. So it's not a bad deal. Anyway, PJ from 1968, uh, directed by John Gillerman, is a detective film starring George Papard. That's a Kino release. And the horror film from 1959, Curse of the Undead is another Kino Lorber release, as is The Ground Star Conspiracy from 1972, starring George Papard and, oh, Christina Belford. Uh, so anyway. Papard was the man of the time. He was, wasn't was it, he? Isn't that like the, um, the, the one of the one of the, the side conversations in Once Upon a Time in Hollywood was how he was up against uh, the Three Georges or something for uh, The Great Escape or something? I think so. There was Papard. There was Kennedy. Who was the other George? George Kennedy, George Papard. I'm trying to think who the other one would be. Maybe I'm maybe I'm mistaken. But uh, I mean, they were they were obviously go-to actors at that time. Mm -hmm. They were in everything. Yeah. Well, there's another one they're issuing uh, that they issued the first week in. October, uh, another George Papard film, Newman's Law, from 1974. Mm. So October is Papard month. So, yeah, <laughs> it was, at least at the beginning of the month. It's totally Paparded. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. yeah, that would be great if Scorsese made a biopic on George Papard and called it The Paparded. <laughs> <laughs> oh, pretty good. So uh, Eli Roth's History of Horror documentary, I know it's not technically a film, but it covers the History of Horror films, yeah. season one, which has a, a who's who of interview subjects in the film, uh, just about yeah. anybody you can think of. It's, you know, I did watch that and enjoyed it as far as it went, but um, most of those aren't deep dives. I would have expected I something that... Eli Roth would do in, in collaboration with Tarantino and Guillermo del Toro and all of those to be more right. of a more of a deep dive. But there's it's not it's not necessarily scholarly. I mean, most of the no, it's not most of the interviews, the clips are, you know, what you'd expect. They're pre predictable insights. But, you know. 
Yeah, they're just basically heaping the love on films that we already know are are good. Uh, you know, they sit there and praise Texas Chainsaw Massacre and Night of the Living Dead, and we know they're good already. So, yeah, there's not a lot of insight. I, I was a little let down by it, to be honest. Uh, yeah. I mean, I thought the caliber of talent, on-screen talent that was involved was pretty amazing. But I, I, was, a, I was a little disappointed, and now it's in its second season, which is airing now, and I, uh-huh. I, I wonder – what that's all about if they've but anyway neither here nor there um so the star trek stardate movie collection collects all of the star trek films from 1979 to 2002 in a uh, blu-ray set from paramount mm. that is available uh the face at the window is a uh, 1939 suspense film that's being issued by kino and the 1927 film, this is uh, silent, obviously, Chicago, uh, no relation to the uh, the musical Chicago. But this one, um, like I said, is a silent film from 1927 that Flicker Alley has issued. Hmm. So I wanted to to mention that because I don't see a lot of silence. Flicker oh. Alley, yes. Have you, have you some... covered their stuff before? I don't remember hearing that name. I haven't. Yeah, they, I see their stuff, but I've not gotten any of their review products, so I haven't gotten a chance to check out their work. But I know it's it's well regarded. So here's some yeah. other titles from Flickr Alley: "The City Without Jews." <laughs> really? Are yeah. you serious? Yes. Wow. Uh, the okay. Rudolph Rudolph Valentino collection. Yeah, I knew they'd done that one. I'd forgotten about that, but yes. Spring night, summer night. Mm-hmm. And waxworks, bringing film history to back to life. That's their motto. Well, that's one way. <laughs> oh. Yeah. Well, I will mention this one. I know we normally don't do newer films, but uh, Tales from the Hood 3 is out now. That has just been issued as well. And I saw that the other night, actually. I wanted to mention that. And Tales from the Hood 2, even though there's the same director, Rusty Cundiff, uh, did all three of these, and Spike Lee produced all three of them. Uh, so he's had his hand involved. The first one is pretty good. The second one I saw, uh, and it came out in 2018, it was a little – had a, a really made-for-TV look to it. The, the production values just didn't quite look up to the original. But this third one is kind of a – it's a lot better. The stories are stronger, and uh, uh, it, it it has some some uh, you know some inge- some some interesting stories, shall we say, that uh, that are a lot more uh, memorable than. You what say it's newer. When was it? When did it come out? Uh, came out in this year, twenty twenty. Oh, just came out okay. To, yeah, it just came out in October. It was direct to video, but it it looks better. It has a better the the budget looks to be a little higher. I don't know if it's because Spike Lee. Uh, uh, had some success with Black Klansman, and maybe his clout has risen to the point where he can get a little more money for these things. But anyway, I would I would recommend Tales from the Hood three. I can't really recommend two, but uh, three was a, a little bit of a not as good as the original. But if you're a horror fan, that's one I would uh, mention, even though it's a newer title. So Little Nothings from 1992 has been issued by Arrow Video. It's uh it's a French film about a French department store. All kinds of things can be found in there, as well as all kinds of people is how it's billed. Huh. But uh, it's French comedy uh, for B, uh, starring Fabrice Lucini. So 
Mm. Anyway, I'm not really familiar with it, I must say, but nevertheless, Arrow has released a little nothings from 1992 for anybody who's interested in in seeing that. To the next day, which would be October the 13th and Friday the 13th, the box set was yeah. released on that day, the one we've discussed on the show on more than one occasion. It's getting pretty good reviews. I think they had a little technical snafu with one of the discs. It had to issue a re- replacement for one of the discs, I believe. But mm-hmm. anyway, getting pretty good reviews. I think it's a 16-disc box set that contains all of the Friday the 13th films with um, an amazing and bountiful selection of extras. So I think beautiful, if anybody was, uh, yeah, whether or not, uh, you know, the quality of the films notwithstanding, uh, it's it's definitely something to behold. They've See, really yeah, gone that, all That's out. film history that needs to be preserved across 16 discs. Yeah, it's... Uh, we need to teach our done. grandchildren about that. <laughs> well, they have done it. I will say that. So... I'm dying. Anyway. I'm dying to see some of those extra features. I mean, I know that I could sit, I can spend a whole weekend just watching all the bonus features on Friday the Thirteenth discs. But apparently, Absolutely. it's apparently yeah, it's it's sold. It's, it's it's really sold well, right? I mean, it's sold out in a lot of places, right? I think you're right. Yeah, I am hearing that uh, it has done quite well. So, um, you know, uh, good for them. I'm glad they're having some success. I know uh, they're they're. They've been a little bit light this year, I think, uh, Scream Factory, as far as their releases. But it may be because of COVID. I'm not sure. That may have something to do with it. But um, anyway, that was uh, – I guess that kind of made up for it, though, right? So, mm-hmm. And, uh, of course, the I, it is an interesting story about the gore footage that they found for Part 2 that's included in there. That was uh, the, the guy who did the makeup um, – Carl Fullerton, I believe, uh, did the makeup for the second film, and they were missing. There was this long rumored gore footage uh, that that was rumored to exist, and they contacted him and just assumed that he did not have it because they figured somebody would have talked to him before now. And he said, "Oh yeah, I've got it on a videotape." And so he started digging around and found it on a videotape. They had to bake the tapes in an oven so it didn't fall apart when they yeah. transferred. It is is an interesting story. Mm. For anybody who doesn't know that story, but well, you know, we don't have the missing footage from the Magnificent Ambersons, but the, but at least we have the extra gore from Friday the Thirteenth too. <laughs> exactly. <laughs> you know. So uh, Kino has issued Deep Star Six from 1989, one of those many. Uh, now, which one's a good one? Because Deep Star Six, and then there was Leviathan. Yeah. I don't think either one of them were very good, actually. <laughs> I don't remember them being. Good. What was the one with Treat Williams? Is that Deep Deep Star? No, that was that was Deep something else. Treat Williams underwater. De- uh, dead Heat or mm. no? That's no, 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 no. I'm I'm trying to think. Yeah, he's in one of those. I think you're right, but I can't think of. Uh, yeah. Mm. Okay, uh, underwater movie. Treat Williams. I'm going to find Treat Williams underwater movie. Deep yeah, Rising. Deep ri- Yeah, that's right. That was about 10 years later, I think. Something like that. No, it's all the same shit. <laughs> <laughs> Deep Star 6. For anybody who's interested. So, 
It has been issued by Kino, and uh, we also have Arrow has released uh, Kevin Smith's second film as a director, his follow-up to, uh, to Clerks. Mall Rats has been issued in a two-disc special edition with not one, not two, but three cuts of the film. Jesus. Yeah, there's the uh, the original version, of course, and then there's the director's cut, which is 30 minutes longer, and then there's the TV cut, which has uh, footage that was not in either version, I think. So, mm. anyway, um, you know, you have uh, a lot of the carryover extras from previous editions, but you have some new stuff here as well. There's a lot of, and uh, there's still even more deleted scenes. There are uh, documentaries, uh, a 30 minute documentary here with the cast and crew, or actually it's an interview with Kevin Smith. Uh, and it's called My Mall Rat Memories. I know a couple of years ago he was talking about that they had found the locations and they were getting ready to start production on Mall Rats 2. Wow. And then you never heard any more about it. So I don't know. Uh, I don't know. wonder what uh, happened there. But anyway, there's still galleries, the uh, dailies, um, the TV cut, as I said, which is 85 minutes. The extended cut is two hours and one minutes. Uh, and the original version is about, I, I don't know, around 90 minutes, I think. So anyway, uh, if you're a Mallrats fan, there you are. You know, uh, I like Mallrats quite a bit when it came out. I saw it. It got terrible reviews, and I saw it and, and liked it. But then I went back and watched it again a couple of years ago, and it wasn't quite as funny as I remembered. So I don't know how I'd feel about it now. But I did get a review copy of this one, just haven't gotten around Never to it. Never seen it. Never seen it. Uh, another movie that was brought to my attention last night that I've never ever seen is The Hunt for Red October. You know, I hate to say I never did either. Really? Yeah, I, I'm the same, and it's an embarrassing blind spot. And I've seen all the other films in that series, which is even crazier. Mm-hmm. I've seen them all, but I did yeah. not see. Uh, and I love John McTiernan's work around that around that time. You know, so I'm sure I'd probably like it. My son's a fan of it. He was telling me about it. And, uh, yeah, with the passing of Sean Connery, that's what we're referring to. And um, another blind spot that people talk about with Sean Connery is Zardoz, which I've never seen that either. <laughs> yeah, I feel like I've seen it because that, that photo of him and, like, the skivvies uh, that he's wearing is – Oh, you know, yeah. I'm just pouring me some Mountain Dew. Oh, do you think, man? Yeah, you, uh, it's good to have some like ambiance, some kind of sounds coming from the background. That's right. But yeah, what a life, right? Uh, we yeah. we must acknowledge the passing of uh, Sean Connery because, uh, you know, one of our uh, guests on the show, Ray Morton, who comes on from time to time, I I saw he had posted something about he he said he was working on the Paramount lot. Uh, back in 88, I guess it was when they were shooting the Presidio and he said, uh, he was walking down one of the alleys and he said, suddenly the, the, the door comes open to one of the sound stages. It just comes just swinging open unexpectedly. And he said, I was standing there and I looked and there comes Sean Connery out the door. And he said, I'm telling you, he goes there, I've seen a lot of movie stars and a lot of them in real life. You know, it's just, yeah, yeah well, you know, but he said he was a guy that when you saw him, he said, he just, you know, there was just something, it was undeniable. And when he, he stepped out of that sound stage, he said it was just like uh, it was unbelievable, you know. Yeah, he was one so, of the great movie stars, that's for sure. Yeah, and uh, I know he cherished his post Bond work. He um, did. Yeah, and uh, he really liked Sidney Lumet. Mm-hmm. I mean, I've heard, uh, and his last narrative film was a bad experience for him. 
But uh, yeah, that's right. The uh, league that, of, ex- of a distinguished gentleman or whatever yeah. it was. Yeah, and I I didn't know that he did um, some animated voiceovers even after that when he retired. Uh, and I didn't recognize any of the titles, so I guess they didn't catch on. But or maybe they were for, for a different mm. country primarily. I don't know. But um, he uh, yeah he read the Matrix because he they wanted him for the Fishburn part, mm-hmm. and he didn't get it. I mean, he didn't understand it, so he turned it down. And then, so when he got the League of Extraordinary Gentlemen, he didn't understand that either. But he wasn't about to turn it down. He wasn't about to make the same mistake <laughs> twice. It was just, you know, the wrong, the wrong project. But uh, yeah, he's one of those guys. Like he was, he was trying to do a big movie like that because he did the Avengers too as well. And yeah. So he, you know, when he, you find yourself in a bunny costume and you're Sean fucking Connery. Yes. Um, you know, he he was, and he showed this in a lot of his films in the latter part of his career. He was primed for Paul Newman's later stage career, for the older guy character parts. You know, yeah. uh, he he should have uh, chased chased more of those, I think. In that stage of his career, I know he did plenty throughout. The- yeah, interesting stories that came out. There's interesting stories that came out, you know, after his passing. I, I read a few interesting anecdotes. They said when he first came to Hollywood that he was only getting a, uh, I think it was a hundred dollars a week from 20th Century Fox. He was a bit player, obviously, and he said he had to live, you know, on a hundred bucks. And basically, he was staying at the Hollywood Roosevelt Hotel, and it was sixteen dollars a day just to stay at the hotel at that time. And so I think it was Leonard Malton told this story, and he said um, he basically just had to, to – he said he, he couldn't you – know, that was not counting his transportation or his food or anything. And so he just basically had to walk to 20th Century Fox from mm. the Roosevelt Hotel because he couldn't afford a car. It was, his money was that tight, and he finally – he was kind of embarrassed about it, and he told somebody at you know at 20th Century Fox, and they – they said, "Oh my God, we got to do something about that. We got to give you more of a per diem." So they raised his per diem so he wouldn't have to walk. Wow. To this. But you know, he was just—he's uh, kind of an humble guy. You know, he, he never really forgot about uh, where he came from. He said the um, the thing that amazed him most when he first started acting in movies was he said he one of his first parts was in Darby O'Gill and the Little People, that Disney film. And he said the thing that that uh, that was most impressive was the food. <laughs> <laughs> because he was used to eating these sandwiches, you know, because he was uh, very poor at times in his life. And he said, here we have all these wonderful breakfasts with this bacon and these eggs and all these wonderful breads and cheeses. And he said it was just fantastic, the, the, all the food that I had on these. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> he said it was just a, it was such a wonderful change of pace. And then he, became the, the, then he became the biggest thing ever. That's true. He did. Yeah. He's, uh, I haven't you know, seen this, I haven't seen The Hill, which is those Lumet movie that they all that right? they very very acclaimed with Connery. Oh yes, yeah. There's always been uh, good word of mouth on that one. But yeah, he was definitely that when he left the uh, the James Bond fold, he he was definitely out had yeah he he was reaching the end of it I think because he was definitely out of shape when he did. Um, uh, Diamonds are forever. I mean, you can tell he's not. Uh, <laughs> oh, really? Yeah, he's a little out of shape in that one. I, to, well, I, but he, I mean, he returned to it. Yeah, he did with the Never Say Never Again. But uh, as far as like the original Broccoli. And Never Say Never Again, that was meant to compete with what? The the Dalton? Octopussy. 
Yeah. Oh, Octopussy. Okay, eighty three. Yeah, it came out eighty three. Right. Yeah, it came out the same. Yeah, Octopussy came out in June, and Never Say Never Again came out in October, I believe. Mm. So yeah, they came. They didn't release them on top of each other, but um, you know, because Octopussy was the summer Bond, and then that was the fall Bond. But it uh, it suffered because they didn't have the rights to the Bond music, and it has a score by. Michael Legrand, and you know it's fine yeah. what it is, but because that's uh, the first thing, person you think about when you want a composer for a Bond adventure. Exactly, yeah, the guy who did Summer '42. Yeah, uh, or Thomas Crown Affair, exactly. Uh, yeah, yeah. I mean, uh, I read I read quotes from you know the the stars, the co-stars that post on Twitter after someone dies, and mm-hmm. they were all very glowing about him. And yeah. Virginia Madison uh, had great things to say about him. Yeah, but he was a legend. I mean, you know, what else can you say? And um, they said that, uh, you know, when he did Highlander, uh, he was paid a million dollars for one week's worth of work. Uh-huh. And they said that he he was basically drunk the entire shoot because the shoot was so disjointed. Uh, he just <laughs> he basically was was drinking very heavily and bringing his own homemade scotch to the set. I read that, too. That yeah, was I don't know. Was, was Virginia Madison in Highlander or Highlander 2? It, oh, I don't. It was can't a, remember. Yeah, she was. Her recollections of Connery were, for, I think, from Highlander too. And mm-hmm. she was like, "Look, there was no reason at all that I wanted to do this movie, and the only reason that convinced me to do it was I knew I would be able to spend three months with Sean Connery, and he, <laughs> and he was just a lovely, lovely friend to make on that set." But. Good selling point. Good selling point. Yeah. Well, anyway, rest in peace, Sean Connery, and the circle is uh, getting smaller, man. You know, it's really sad when you think about these actors. And I guess probably the biggest actor in his age range, I think, that's still around would be Gene Hackman, right? I think I can't think of anybody else that's of that caliber that's still – I mean, Jack Nicholson, I guess, those two probably. Uh It's about it. Yeah. I I mean, isn't Beatty around the same age? Well, Beatty, yeah. I mean, all all of the – great actors that defined the latter part of the 20th century in terms of making American acting a a specific art form post Brando. Mm -hmm. All of those are in their seventies and eighties. Yes. Yeah. Yeah. And then, uh, Hackman is 90 as he was the same age as Sean Connery. So yeah. Yeah. Gosh, hard to think about that, man. Hard to take it in. Well, anyway, we'll move along to uh, still on October 13th here. Requiem for a Dream has been issued in 4K, Darren Aronofsky's uh, Oscar-nominated film from 2000, which I think is the best film of its year, personally. I'll go out on a limb and say that. I just think that's an astounding piece of work. I'm not saying it's uh, the kind of thing you want to return to, uh, <laughs> but I I love that film, man. It's a, it just blew me away. So and it uh, when I saw it originally. So and still, I revisited it last year, and it's still pretty powerful stuff, man. And I think Ellen Burstyn was robbed by not yeah. getting the uh, the best supporting actress for that for her part in that film that year. But anyway, it has been issued in 4K, uh, new transfer. I think all the extras are being uh, ported over from previous releases. So anyway, it's a director-approved transfer too, I believe. Anyway, uh, District 9 has been issued by uh, – and that's Lionsgate, by the way, that's issuing Requiem for a Dream. District 9 – and I don't think I've mentioned earlier, Mallrats is being issued by Aero Video. If uh, Anyway, I may have missed that. District 9 is being issued by Sony uh, in 4K. 
Um, it was uh, hard to believe that was an Academy Award nominee for Best Picture, right? But anyway, it was that weird time when they were expanding the uh, the number of nominees they could have. And, but it was. Mm. Anyway, um, Motel Hell from 1980, another horror title you were just mentioning. Uh, that has been issued by Scream Factory in a uh, steelbook edition, actually, in a collectible cover. Um, speaking of Jack Nicholson, we have The Pledge from 2001. And uh, I believe Sean Penn directed that, I do believe, if I remember correctly. Oh, The Pledge. The Nicholson? Yeah, the Pledge. Yeah. Mm-hmm. Yeah, yeah, yeah. And, that's uh, a... Yeah, that's Mill Creek re- release, by the way. That's an intriguing movie. The, uh, yeah. yeah, that's one of the most effective single scene performances ever mm-hmm. in the pledge. Uh, Mickey Rourke has one scene in that movie uh, where he's just devastating. Mm-hmm. Just, a, just a couple of minutes on screen and he's in the hospital and he's talking about his boy that was kidnapped or taken from him. He doesn't know what happened to him. And uh, God, it's just a, it's a heartbreaking scene. Mm. It's amazing how. You're given, you're given a page of lines and two minutes and screen time to make an impression. And uh, and more than anything in that movie, I take I take away that performance. True. In, in yeah. my memory. There's also yeah. a great moment where uh, Nicholson is trying to convince his boss, his ex-boss. That there's a case here, and because he's obsessed with it, and he's he's mm-hmm. like he's fumbling and stumbling with his words, and uh, it's kind of an amazing moment. You know, there there were moments in Nicholson's career. I mean, he's such a strong force of personality. He was always a delight to watch, and you couldn't wait to see what he would do next, moment to moment. But there were there were moments that kind of transcended the jackness uh, that he would bring to a role. And that's one of them, the pledge, and then the other pen movie where he's uh, the crossing guard, where he's sobbing on the phone with Angelica Houston in the bathroom. Mm-hmm. It's an amazing moment. I think for me, one of the moments that transcends his persona is um, in About Schmidt. Yeah. At the end of the movie, you know, when he gets that, uh, you know, his his daughter, he tries to stop his daughter's wedding un, un, unsuccessfully, and then he comes back home and. Uh, you know, he gets the card from the right. little boy that he's been supporting, you know, and just starts to sob, you know, and I, I thought that was an amazing moment, too. I, I think that's just a beautiful, uh, beautiful, in, in Dugu is the little boy's name, I remember, <laughs> yeah. that he's been sending money to, uh, who lives in a third world country, and he gets these little cards from the little boy updating him on his status and the, how his money's being spent, and oh my goodness, man, that, that makes me well up just now thinking about it <laughs> anyway yeah, it's, uh, it's a remarkable uh, actor uh terror in the isles is another horror title this is from 1984 it was a compilation film of clips from we were talking about the history of horror and this is uh this is actually uh, along the same lines but maybe superior in some ways uh, <laughs> but it's a, a, a you know, a, a compilation of clips from different horror films, about 85 minutes worth, and it's hosted by Nancy Allen and Donald Pleasance. Yeah. And, I remember uh, that. And at the beginning, they're both taking their seats in the movie theater. I remember seeing this on, like, Showtime and stuff when I was sure. a kid. Yeah. And then, you know, Pleasance with his <laughs> with his great delivery. It, you know, he can make the most uh, 
inept lines sound so profound. Yeah, of course. Totally agree. Yeah. Uh, yeah, Terror in the Isles, uh, it's been available before because uh, from uh, Universal had put it out on the uh, as a bonus feature on their Halloween 2 Blu-ray, mm. which came out uh, several years, uh, probably about 10 years ago. Uh, they could not release it as a standalone film because supposedly all the different clips to get the rights to all the different clips that are included in the film was cost prohibitive. But somehow Screen Factory was able to get that done and they put it out. Uh, and the film, uh, the, rather the Blu-ray, includes a bonus cut of the film, the television cut, which features alternate footage. So it's a different version of Terror in the Isles from the theatrical cut. has different clips. And there are a few uh, – I think there's a commentary there or something. So anyway, Scream Factory has issued Terror in the Isles mm. for – yeah, I was such a horror fan around the time this film came out. I was dying to see it in the theater, did not get to see it in the theater. I – I had to wait until it came out uh, on video, but I, uh, you know, I'm not going to tell you it's great, but it's, you know, the, there's a nice selection of clips in there, and uh, it's it, it's it's okay for what it is. So anyway, so Sergeant York from 1941, Gary Cooper won uh, an Oscar, his first Best Actor Academy Award for this, the true story of a uh, of a soldier who is a pacifist, <laughs> but. Um, Anyway, it includes a commentary by film historian Janine Bassinger, a making of featurette Sergeant York of God and Country, classic cartoon Porky's Preview, and vintage short Lions for Sale. Uh, but this is considered to be a, a true classic. They've done a really uh, – put in a lot of hard work restoring this from what I'm told. Uh, but the Warner Archive has issued Sergeant York from 1941 oh. on Blu-ray for the first time ever. And the 1974 film, Oscar-nominated uh, for Diane Carroll, who's the star of this film, Claudine, mm -hmm. also starring James Earl Jones and featuring a score by uh, – that's I think uh, Curtis Mayfield wrote all the songs and Gladys Knight and the Pips performed them all. But it's the story of a, of a trash man played by James Earl Jones who falls in love with a woman who has six children. <laughs> and uh, the complications that ensue trying to deal with all that. And uh, it's it's a nice movie. It's a nice little mid-70s slice of life that's uh, filmed in New York City, so it kind of you know, captures the time and place there quite well. And like I said, no Oscar-nominated for Diane Carroll as Best Actress. Audio commentary from 2003 is featured here. It features uh, Diane Carroll on the commentary track, James Earl Jones, and filmmaker George Tillman Jr. Hmm. Uh, there's a new conversation here between filmmaker Robert Townsend and programmer Ashley Clark. There are illustrated audio excerpts from a 1974 AFI seminar featuring Diane Carroll, and a new interview with film critic Imogene Sarah Smith on director John Barry, who directed this film. Uh, and there's an essay, uh, essay booklet in here. So the 1974 Claudine, uh, film Claudine has been issued. That's a 20th Century Fox uh title and these titles are going to be harder to get the licensing rights to now that Disney owns them so I think I think this might have been one of the titles that they they inked to deal with before Disney purchased or before the purchase finalized but that's nice that they put that out I'm glad yeah. they did um, anyway reversal of fortune from 1990 of course that was an Oscar winner for Jeremy Irons 
This is the dramatization of the story of Klaus von Bülow, who tried to murder his wife. Uh, But I think the performance in the film to beat is Ron Silver. Yeah. It's uh, Alan Dershowitz. He's the one that really makes the movie sing, if you ask me. But uh, anyway, and Glenn Close is comatose for most of the film, although she gets to do some uh, voiceover work every now and then. But uh, it has a special feature, uh, the commentary by director Barbet, uh, Barbet Schroeder and the screenwriter Nick Kazan. So uh, anyway, Reversal of Fortune has been issued by Warner Archive. just wanted to mention that Warning from Space, a Japanese sci-fi film from 1956, has been issued by Arrow. Um, that's got a new transfer and a few new extras. And the Chalk Garden from 1964 has been issued by Kino, as has SOS Titanic, a uh, dramatization of the sinking of the Titanic that was made for television in 1979. It starred uh, David Jansen and Cloris Leachman and Susan St. James. Hmm. Uh, I remember seeing this when I was a young lad. In the uh, late 70s, seeing it on, I think it was CBS television ran it. I remember it being pretty decent of its type. I, uh, somehow Kino has found a uh, widescreen print of the film, and it's being issued in the 1.85 ratio, even though it was made for television. So uh, I think there was a theatrical print of it that was that uh, was released overseas, and that's the one they're issuing. Dominion, the prequel to The Exorcist. Which is being one? Issued by, uh, yeah, that's a good uh, – that's a good question. This is the – I'm trying to find out. Sony is issuing this one, and it is – this is the Paul Schrader one, actually. Really? Okay. Yeah, so yeah, they are uh, they are issuing this, uh, Sony is, as I said. And we have uh, – let's see what else uh, kind of – Back to where I was at. What an interesting experiment. I mean, I know it wasn't done as an experiment, but when you think the same script directed by two different directors, I've often wondered, like, when you try to distinguish the directorial touch in the process and what difference that makes. And Mm -hmm. so it would be interesting to get the same script and have two different directors do it. Uh, Neither one of those movies work, but um, it's, it's so interesting that the, the two directors were Paul Schrader and then Rennie Harlan. <laughs> exactly. Like you, you could not get more diverse than that. <laughs> Tis true. Yeah, uh, that's about as diverse as it gets. Well, anyway, speaking of Sony, they've also issued Picnic from 1955. Mm-hmm. That has been issued as well. That's another one of their titles. Uh, we have Fahrenheit 9-11 getting a Blu-ray release courtesy of VMVD Visual. Um, I think, um, you know, I, I guess it's tied into the political season. I'm not sure. Uh, you know. What else can you say about Fahrenheit 9-11? I guess the biggest grossing documentary film of all time, as far as I know. So. Okay, yeah. But Yeah, you were speaking of the Rennie Harlan version, Exorcist the Beginning. I, I overlooked it. It is being issued as well by Sony. Mm. So, uh, okay. Anyway, there's a, a Warner Brothers put out a box set years ago that has both all of the Exorcist films in it. Uh, two cuts of the original and all of the, the prequels and all mm. that stuff. So that that's a... You know, those have been out already. I don't know that there's anything new about these. But anyway, maybe Warner Brothers lost the the, the rights to that 
those titles. I don't know. Jack and the Beanstalk has been issued. The Abbott and Costello Jack and the Beanstalk, which I uh, has been issued by VCI, which I think it's gone uh, through a major restoration. But um, anyway, it was one of their titles that I, uh, for some reason, it was in the public domain for a while, or has been previously. But anyway, uh, that has been issued. And uh, all the Friday the 13th titles we talked about earlier, they have been issued separately. For oh, really? You can get okay. those. Yeah, if you don't want to go through the box set route, uh, you can get them uh, as uh, standalone titles. So Pumpkinhead has been issued from 1988, uh, directed by Stan Winston, the makeup genius Stan Winston. This has been issued by Scream Factory in a steel box or a uh, steel case, whatever you want to call it. Anyway, uh, Collector's 10. Uh, I don't think there's anything new with it. It's just a collectible uh, packaging. And the Back to the Future trilogy has been issued in 4K. Mm-hmm. And I'm, I'm seeing pretty good reviews on the transfers on this. They say it looks pretty good. You know, it's an interesting uh, problem that they're having issuing some of these older titles because – Films that were made with the in the early days of digital effects, uh, there's it's a little problematic. I read an article about it because they said that the uh, the digital effects were done in 1K. It was the uh, you know they didn't have any. That was the best they had at the time. But now we've moved up to 4K, so they can take the film elements and transfer those to 4K. But the digital effects cannot be upgraded to 4K because a lot of the programs that they were created on are no longer in existence. And so you're having a problem where the film looks really nice, but the effects really stick out like a sore thumb because they're so less resolute. The resolution is so much lower because of the technology having moved up. Uh, It's an interesting dilemma that they're dealing with. And I think some of that is is a problem with some of these. uh, I think they said part two had a little bit of that being a problem. Back to the future part two. But anyway, I think there's a few new extras um, and they're carrying over all the previous extras, but uh, by and large, they say it looks really good, so it's it's worth the upgrade. I think if you are a uh, Back to the Future fan, yeah, one of the extras is the prop museum. That um, I, we I don't think was the was the Back to the Future prop uh, display uh, going on when we were there. I don't think it was. I don't recall seeing it. Yeah, it was there when when I took the high schoolers to L.A. Earlier, uh-huh. earlier this year, so it's like, apparently it's Bob Gale going through that floor of Back to the Future memorabilia. Interesting. Yeah. Well. Well, that's curious. That's very curious. Um, the Haunting from 19, 1999. This was when they, uh, <laughs> Jan DeBont decided to, uh, re- well, I don't know if he decided, but anyway, he took the job to, uh, uh, do a remake of the 1963 Robert Wise horror adaptation of The Haunting of Hill House. Oh. And uh, this one, um, you know, starred Liam Neeson, Catherine Zeta-Jones, and Owen Wilson, and Lily Taylor. Where yeah. Four people are staying overnight in Haunted House. And Which one gets decapitated? Oh, gosh, I can't remember. I want to say it's Owen Wilson, but maybe I'm wrong. Probably. I, think I mean, it if, is. I, if I had to choose one, I'd choose that one. 
Well, anyway, it's a new 4K trans remastered from a new 4K film transfer. There's a uh, a, a new feature on here called Filmmaker Focus, and it's Jan DeBont talking about the haunting and his experiences making it, I guess, and uh, behind-the-scenes featurette and the theatrical teaser trailer and the theatrical trailer. So The Haunting, it's one of Paramount's uh, Paramount Presents line of titles they've been issuing, and this was number 10 in the series. They just started those this year. So anyway, Adaptation from 2002 has been issued as a Shout Select title. This is uh, this is the one with Nicolas Cage, of course, and uh, you know Charlie Kaufman wrote the script and pretty well reviewed. I don't think it's quite as good as being John Malkovich, but you know it has its moments. Um, the Gunfighter from 1950 is a, a western starring Gregory Peck that's been issued as a Criterion release. And the hit from 1984, starring Terrence Stamp, has also been issued as a uh, as a uh, Criterion release. Both of those with new transfers and lots of new extras. Now, is the hit the movie that they use footage from for the Limey? No, that is Poor Cow from 1967, directed by Ken Loach. It was his first film as a director. So, no, um, that is not the same. The same film, because yeah, he was much younger in uh, in uh, Poor Cow. <laughs> but uh, anyway, yeah, it's uh, I've not seen the hit. I don't. I'm familiar with the title, but um, it's directed by Stephen Frears. Yeah, yeah, yeah. It's about a yeah, it's about an inf- uh, a gangster's uh, henchman who is now turned informer, trying to live in hiding. And then the two hitmen come calling to bring him back to uh, to his former employer for execution. Anyway, um, it's a well-reviewed and supposedly a pretty pretty exciting film, I'm told. So anyway, I didn't get a review copy of that one. Uh, but the 1974 television film starring Clint Will Walker, Kill Dozer, has been issued by uh, Kino Lorber. And this was, uh, you know, when they used to make those horror films for television, this one is, uh, I forget what it is that causes the uh, the bulldozer to come to life. But anyway, it's about a, a bulldozer that goes around killing people. A possessed bulldozer, ladies and gentlemen. So mm. anyway, um, <laughs> 1974, uh, made for ABC television, I believe. So Got to pick that one up. Yeah, if you were a fan of the uh, the vintage television films. Also... Uh, two more television films, Fear No Evil and Ritual of Evil, have been issued by Kino Lorber. Those are from 1969 and 1970. So there's a double feature there. Mm. Fear No Evil and Ritual of Evil. So uh, Kino is putting out the television films. Uh, there's... Still some television films I would personally like to see released uh, that have not yet made the seen the light of day. I I asked them, I actually sent them a uh, a, uh, a message the other day uh, about if they were, had any plans to issue Griffin and Phoenix, a love story, which is one of my favorites with Jill Clayburgh and Peter Falk. I think that's a really beautiful film, and uh, there's a European cut of it that uh, features 
some nudity, shall we say, that wasn't in the TV version. It's made for television, but there's a slightly more explicit European cut of it, which I have a VHS copy of it, but it's not uh, – or I have a DVD that's transferred from a VHS, but it's not really – quality's not that good. And so hoping they'll put that out, but they said no plans. So mm. You, you just sank. want a Blu-ray so you could do a good freeze frame, right? <laughs> that's just a – that's a beautiful movie, man. It, it really brings – it really moves me emotionally mm. to admit. Well, anyway, The Ape from 1940 is a Kino release. Uh, it's another one of theirs, as is uh, Outside the Law from 1920, which stars Lon Chaney. Wow. So These are a couple of Kino. They're dipping into the, the silent films there. I want to mention the uh, the 2020 film alone has been issued. I think that's uh, a Lionsgate release. That's a really effective film. I just it's playing in a few the few theaters that are actually open right now. It's playing in our area and it's was uh quite a quite a intense film. It's the plot is nothing new, but it's uh, it's pretty pretty good. I would definitely recommend that for anybody who's looking for something new. Uh it's just about a woman who's uh moving to the Pacific Northwest and she's stalked and followed by this guy on the highway who eventually kidnaps her and the there are a lot of plot twists and turns. Don't want to say too much, but but pretty pretty good stuff. So uh, drifting from 1923 is another one of those silent Gosh. titles. Wow. Stars Priscilla Dean, yeah. And uh, we have Picture Mommy Dead from 1966, another Aquino release. Picture Mommy Dead. Yeah. Wow. Starring Don Amici, believe it or not, and Jaja Gabor. Oh, of course he plays Mommy. Uh, <laughs> picture mo- that sounds like a William Castle thing. It does, doesn't it? But it's not. It's Burt Gordon. Yes, that's correct. Picture Mommy Dead. Wow. Yeah, another Kino release. Uh, be- actually, it's through one of their uh, subsidiary labels, Scorpion, releasing. They're issuing uh, Last Rites, starring Tom Berenger, directed mm. by Donald P. Belisario from 1988. And also starring Daphne Zuniga and oh, Paul Dooley. So for you, Daphne Zuniga, uh, complete us. Yes. My daughter and I watched uh, The Fly 2 a couple of weeks ago. We had, uh, uh, had not seen The Fly 2 in 30 years. My daughter had never seen it. She's a huge fan of the Cronenberg film, as as I am, as most of us are. And boy, what a letdown, right? <laughs> <laughs> Yeah, I, I have I don't think I've seen Fly Two. I mean I'm, aw- oh boy, I'm aware of Eric Stoltz in it, but uh. yeah, yeah, it's uh I don't know it's it's worth watching just for the to see how bad it is, but it really and I don't even know why they brought back John Getz. Uh, he comes back as Staffus, you know, from the first film, and he's in it for probably five minutes, and it's a pointless cameo. Yeah, yeah. I think I rem- I think that's the scene I remember the one that he was in. Yeah. My friend Chris and I would always make fun of uh, Gitz in the in the fly because he was <laughs> it was just he was just the smarmiest presence in that movie. Oh yeah. So what are you doing in my apartment? I was in the neighborhood, felt a bit scummy because he was taking a shower in her apartment. <laughs> yes, right. Like exactly. what? I'm onto something really big. Like what? His cock. <laughs> <laughs> just. <laughs> oh man. We uh, speaking of uh, Goldblum and Cronenberg, it's funny. Uh, my daughter and I uh, also revisited Into the Night the other night. Uh, mm-hmm. I'd had the Blu-ray for several years, and 
I'd never gotten around. I've seen it before, obviously, but never got around to opening the Blu-ray. So we watched that, and you know, Cronenberg's in that. Uh, yeah. He plays uh, uh, Goldblum's boss, and he's giving him a lecture at the beginning of the movie. It's kind of funny, and so many great uh, director cameos. Yeah. Oh, yeah, it's great. But I was, and then I pulled up the Roger Ebert review, and I got a. It was a hoot. He said. Uh, he said, "I'm sure they were having fun with this movie at the dire- at the Directors Guild of America." <laughs> like yeah. He said, "I'm not just the actors that were professional actors were having as good of a time." He said, "Because yeah, when they saw how, how little screen time they had playing second fiddle to a bunch of movie directors, <laughs> yeah, he wasn't a fan of it. But I think it's I think it's a lot of fun." Yeah, uh, I like it. I like it. Jim Henson's on the phone, and you got Waldo Salt as a bum in the alley, and just uh, you could go on and on. It's, it's a lot of great stuff. Yeah, so um, Sunrise at Campobello, which is a dramatization of uh, F, the relationship between FDR and Eleanor Roosevelt um, and his battle against polio. Hmm. Oscar nominated as well, and. Uh, yeah, Golden Globe and National Board of Review Best Actress Awards for Greer Garson, who plays uh, Eleanor Roosevelt. And then you have Ralph Bellamy playing uh, FDR in this film. But this is based on a stage play, uh, co-starring Hume Cronin, but uh, very well-reviewed. And um, I, I hate to say it, I haven't gotten around to seeing it, and it is a blind spot for me. But uh, they say it's one of the better presidential biopics so Sunrise at Campobello has been issued by Warner Archive, and there I don't see any uh, listings of any extras on the on the DVD jacket, on the Blu-ray jacket, but um, nevertheless, it's out there. Then we have uh, quite a few Christmas titles that are being issued. Uh, the Santa Claus 1, 2, 3, uh, triple feature, uh, Mickey's Once Upon a... Once Upon a Christmas, and then the both versions of Miracle on 34th Street, uh, the 2009 Christmas Carol, and uh, the Home Alone films have been issued in a two-movie collection. And uh, you have Nightmare Before Christmas, Muppet Christmas Carol, and just a whole bunch of them there from Disney, courtesy of Disney, because oh. they have the Fox Library now, so they can they can put theirs out and the Fox titles. Okay. So any what? who wants to get in the Christmas mood. So we're moving along to October 27th, uh, last Tuesday. It's the last uh, day of releases in the month. We have the Flintstones, the complete collection, which is the complete series, television series and all six seasons and the two feature films that were released to theaters. One of them uh, was released in 1966 called A Man Called Flintstone. But they well, actually yeah. had some theatrical films that were released. I can't remember the title of the second one. Uh, anyway, um, that's why I mention it. I know it's technically a television show, but there were some theatrical features there that were released. But it's all bundled together in one collection, courtesy of Warner Brothers. The Flintstones the complete collection. And the 1971 film, Daughters of Darkness, has been issued in 4K. This is one of those older titles we were talking about, horror titles. And yeah. It's by Blue Underground. There's that. Uh, Abbott and Costello, we talked about Jack and the uh, Beanstalk earlier. We have African Screams, which is also being issued by BCI, limited edition of 2,500 units. And this is a meticulous restoration, another one that's fallen into the the public domain. Uh, Parasite from last year, this, this year's uh, recipient of the Best Picture Academy Award 
had been issued previously by Universal in, on Blu-ray back earlier in the year, but Criterion has given it the d- deluxe treatment with some new extras and just lots of uh, new conversation with the director of the film and some storyboard comparisons and all that type of stuff. So um, we have uh, uh, a new edition of Parasite for fans who uh, fans of the film, and I think many of us are. And then we have the 1984 film, The Last Starfighter, has been issued by Arrow. Oh. We mentioned this because our friend of the show, Mike White, has done the the audio. That's, that's right. Yeah, yeah. He has. And um, anyway, I think it ports over quite a bit of the uh, the previous extras in addition to the, the new ones. Um I remember there, loving uh, that movie when I was a kid, and I um, and I haven't seen it since. But um, I did like the first year of our sh- first year of our show. I did interview or second year, Catherine um, Mary Stewart, mm-hmm, right, the, the female lead in the movie. And yes. the one thing that I remember most about what she had to say about it was, she was working with Robert Preston, and she said Robert Preston smelled. He had the the best smell uh, on a man I've ever experienced. <laughs> it was just, it was like a really odd observation, but uh, it's yeah, stuck, right. in my, stuck in my mind. <laughs> that is good. That's good. Now you can't see uh, Robert Preston the same way. Anytime you see him, you'll always be, you'll yeah. have to conjure up that. I'll be like Bob. watching it with my Bob. Robert Preston will come on screen. I said, he smelled really good. She'll be like, what? <laughs> Why would you say that? <laughs> oh, man. Well, we have uh, the 1989 film Deadly Games has been issued in 4K by, I think, uh, gosh, I don't know. Why. They're putting this one out in 4K, so you talk about these 4K titles. It's a Vinegar Syndrome release. I'm not really familiar with this one, actually, but uh, it's interesting that they're giving something a little obscure like that the 4k treatment um but for whatever it's worth there we have it uh waterloo bridge from 1940 Hmm. that stars vivian lee and robert taylor it was her first film since or after gone with the wind i should say and uh it's basically uh a uh tragic romance set against uh, the backdrop of World War II. And like I said, it's considered... uh, It has a screen director's Playhouse radio broadcast as an extra from September 28, 1951. It's the audio-only, a theatrical trailer, and it's a new restoration. And uh, it's considered to be... Some people say her performance in this is better than uh, in Gone with the Wind. But anyway, uh, like I said, we have uh, Waterloo Bridge, a new release from... Warner, the good folks at Warner Archive. And uh, several of the Clint Eastwood titles from the 70s have been reissued by Kino Lorber. They've been previously issued on Blu-ray by Universal, but somehow they, or another they uh, were able to get the rights to these titles. And they are High Plains Drifter, Two Mules for Sister Sarah, and Joe Kidd. Those have all been issued by Kino Lorber. And, or I should say reissued with new extras. 
So if you're a fan of the uh, the 70s Clint Eastwood films, those are those are a few that have been issued. Uh, Necromancer from 1988. It's a horror film. From, uh, Vinegar Syndrome is releasing that one as, as and they are also releasing Rest in Pieces and Cemetery of Terror. Um, the Icarus File, starring Michael Caine, yep. from 1965, has been issued by Kino Lorber. Sidney G. Fury. Yeah, that's correct. Absolutely. And um, and we have The Secret Ways, starring Richard Whitmark, another Kino Lorber release. Um, we have The Cold Light of Day, which is being issued in a limited edition from Arrow. It's a... Uh, they they say it's the British equivalent to Henry Portrait of a Serial Killer. It's a film a dramatization of one of Britain's most infamous serial killers. Oh. And um, anyway, like I said, it's a very limited edition. They're only pressing 2,000 of these, I, I think. But um, for anybody who is curious about this one, The Cold Light of Day with some – there's some extras on there as well. The Opposite Sex, which is a 1956 remake of The Women, which starred uh, June Allison, Joan Collins, and uh, Leslie Nielsen. Believe it or not, there we go again, playing a leading man. That's right. (laughs) Joan Collins and uh, Leslie Nielsen, that's an interesting pairing, right? Well, uh, anyway, yes. So I wanted to mention that. Mr. Topaz from 1961 is the only film to be directed by Peter Sellers. He also stars in the film. And he's a uh, French schoolmaster who loses his job after he refuses to alter the failing grades of one of his students. So seizing the opportunity to exploit his honesty, an actress convinces her lover, who is the corrupt city council member, to hire him as a managing director for one of his shady businesses. Now, Herbert Lom, who co-starred with Peter Sellers in most of the Pink Panther films, uh, also stars in this film. And this has uh, been given a new 2K restoration from the last surviving 35mm prints held in the BFI National Archive. And it includes a short film starring Peter Sellers as an extra called Let's Go Crazy from 1951. Hmm. It includes a Cat Ellinger video essay on the, the um, auteur Marcel Pagnol, the playwright of Topaz. And uh, Leo McKern, who's in the film, uh, discusses uh, her father's life and career. So uh, there's an interview with with her as well. There's a 24-page booklet. So anyway, Mr. Topaz, the only film to be directed by Peter Sellers, has been issued on Blu-ray. And uh, all of the Amityville films, I guess, uh, they've all been issued. uh, I'm not sure what company is putting them out, but they're Amityville, The Evil Escapes, Amityville Dollhouse, Amityville It's About Time. There's a whole slew of those that are being Oh, all the Amityville movies post Amityville 3? Yes, uh, Vinegar Syndrome is putting those out, so yes. Huh. Uh, Amityville, the Evil Escapes is, in a, I think, a man. That one, maybe. I tried to watch one of them. I guess it was Amityville too. I just couldn't get through it. It was just too much ugliness. It was the one where uh, that's Burt Young, Burt right? Burt Young and and Ratania Alda, the Mommy Dearest actress. Yeah. Yes. Ugh. Ugh. Yeah, it's pretty bad. Yeah, it's pretty pretty gruesome. You're right. 
Uh, and I'll just uh, end up things with a couple of things here uh, that are worth mentioning, I think. Uh, one is the TV series. I know we're, we, you and I are big fans of Los Angeles and the historical Los Angeles. I don't know if anybody's seen the TV series uh, Penny Dreadful City of Angels. I have not, but they, it's out on DVD now. And obviously it takes place in 1938 Los Angeles. And, um, you know, with Nathan Lane as a detective and Daniel Zavato as his partner, and they're trying to solve a crime. And I know this got it's pretty well reviewed. Um, but anyway, it's a period piece that takes place in 1938 Los Angeles. And uh, I don't know. It's been in, in the conversation. I've heard some people talking about it. But anyway, season one, Penny Dreadful, City of Angels is out from CBS DVD, as is the official 11th season of Bonanza. And that there's so many episodes, they had to split it over into two sets, volumes one and two. And these are a pretty big deal. I know these are it's a TV show, but I wanted to mention it because these uh, contain the original NBC logos and the episodic previews on select episodes. A vintage Chevrolet commercial featuring the star, Lauren Green, and new audio commentaries by the by uh, the DVD executive producer. And there's rare episodic behind-the-scenes and on-location photos and an, a, an additional photo gallery. And these have been remastered from the original 35-millimeter elements. So Bonanza, the 11th season, is out there as well. So uh, anyway, I guess that about wraps it up. I think that's about uh, all the news there is to tell when it comes to Blu-ray releases okay. for the month. When does that Rambo box set come out? Because that arrived in my mailbox the other day. Is that already out? Oh, that is out. I'm glad you mentioned that. Yes, uh, I didn't get one, and I failed to mention it. All five movies. That's right. 4K. 4K. Yeah. Ooh, all that bloodshed in 4K. Yeah. Well, they're all pretty decent, except for that last one. That last one was pretty bad. You know, like the last one? The Last Blood? No, I didn't care for it. I, I, I I like the last 20 minutes. Yeah, maybe I was so. Like, yeah. Now we're in a Rambo movie, damn it. <laughs> it just, I don't know. It just seemed like a, I don't know. It, it seemed, it just did, didn't fit in with the rest of the films. His character was, was not the same character almost. He, it was, it was really weird because, uh, well. you know, he's a loner and now suddenly he's a family man and I don't know. It's, uh, he's avenging his, you know, his niece's death or whatever. It's, I don't know. It just it felt weird to me, but that yeah. was just my take on it. And the thing was only like 80 minutes, I think, uh, minus the credits. And then, the, you know, it's it amazing. It's like this. I like is, a uh, movie that doesn't overstay its welcome. Oh, boy, that one did not. I'll say that. But it was. Uh, so I the first one, the first one and then the fourth one. Those are the top oh, two, yes. right? Oh, yeah, I agree. Oh, yeah, totally. Totally. That fourth one delivers the goods for sure. It's a long road when you're on your own. And it hurts when they tear your dreams apart.